Glad to see you on this Christmas Eve Eve, and we welcome you to Great Hills Baptist Church. My name is Danny Forshee. I've been the pastor here for about eight and a half years, and we're very delighted that you are here. Many of you uh, are here maybe for the first time or from out of town, maybe even out of state. I know we have family that have come in from Alabama, uh, Virginia, and Dallas. So we have a, a, a house full, and we're delighted that um, our family is here with us today. If you're happy to be in church today, just say amen. 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 God bless you. So good that, uh, that you're here today. If you're, if you're new to Great Hills, uh, let me share this with you, that we have been studying over the last several weeks what we're calling the series is Preaching the Paintings. And I have been speaking on, teaching on, some of the more famous religious works of art and the biblical text upon which those paintings are based. And so we have looked at paintings from people like Raphael and Van Gogh and Da Vinci and Rembrandt is to come. And for the third Sunday in a row, we're going to study a Leonardo da Vinci painting. And this is one that I am so excited about because it fits our time so beautifully here at the Christmas season. It's called Adoration uh, of the Magi. And so whoever wins the drawing today, you're really going to get something special. This is not a print. This is an actual uh, large painting that someone has given us a rendition of Leonardo's famous, famous work. So again, I just invite you into our study. We're studying these paintings. We're looking at the biblical text, and we're also taking a few moments to study the actual historical person who created these uh, masterpieces. So the text today is Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bible, love for you to turn there with us or on your phone or your tablet, or maybe you're just kind of old school like me and you brought this, uh, uh, th this, this document here, this Word of God, this Bible. If not, we have it on the screens here. We want you to follow along as we're going to study the text and then we're going to look just a few minutes more at this fascinating man, Leonardo da Vinci. And then we're going to look at the actual painting, The Adoration of the Magi. And then we'll close out today, as we have been doing over the last several weeks, just with some points of application. Uh, what are some uh, salient features that we can take from the story, the text, uh, and from the life of the painter and the painting itself? And how does this fit or apply to us today? in this 21st century. But again, just glad that you're here. This is an awesome day. I'm so excited about today and then tomorrow, Christmas Eve at five o'clock. We'd love for you to come out and join us as we worship the Lord together on Christmas Eve as well. So let's look at the text today. It's Matthew chapter two. I'll read verses one through 12. And the word of God says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, the Greek word there is magi. It's where we get the English word magi. It's basically a transliteration from the Greek mag magi. From the east, these wise men, and they came to Jerusalem. And they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. That's an interesting word in, in the Greek New Testament. That word trouble, it means to be vehemently upset. There's almost a demonstrative quality to it where Herod is viscerally upset and concerned because there, there's talk of a new king on the horizon and he's the king. He thinks he may be even above Caesar himself, at least he is in Judea. 
And so he's very troubled, vehemently so, that he has heard the rumors of this king. So the king heard this. He was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, this is very interesting. He asked the scholars, the interpreters of the Old Testament manuscripts, the the scriptures, and they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And you can read Micah chapter five, verse two, verbatim, it says here, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, the Magi, he determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. Padion is the Greek word. It's not an infant. This is a, this is a child. Jesus is months old, if not a year old, there in Bethlehem. And when they had seen in the east, went before them, that star did, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then in verse 12, it says, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. It is the text upon which Leonardo da Vinci's famous adoration of the Magi is built upon, it's predicated solely upon this text in, in the gospel of Matthew. Who are these wise men these seers, these sages, if you will, from the East, I believe they are men from Persia, men who have studied and men who have, are, are receiving dreams and, and revelations. And that, that's not a stretch because in verse 12, they had a dream that warned them that Herod was up to no good. Don't go back to Herod, but go on back a different way. I believe God had spoken to these men in dreams. I also believe that since Israel, remember they had spent two or three hundred years under the reign of the Medes and the Persians in the sixth century. Many scholars believe that when Israel went under the leadership of Cyrus and the Medes and the Persians, when they were there from the Babylonian captivity, they had their their manuscripts. They had what we have today as the Old Testament. And, And some believe that these seers, these magi, these wise men had been studying the Old Testament scriptures. And as they they read, they said, there is a Messiah coming. And they were spoken to probably in a dream, a, a magnificent star appears before them. And they began to migrate westward, leading, still proceeding, guide us to, okay? That's the song. This is the people. This is the text. So they're making their way, these three kings of 
Orient are traveling so very far, and they're looking at the star, and they're making their way, and it stops at Jerusalem. I thought that was really interesting. They made it to Jerusalem. That's as far as the star went. But then they had to have this biblical revelation of uh, of Micah 5, and Herod gathered the people together and says, you know, where is this Christ, this child to be born? And they said, oh, it will be in Bethlehem. And then the star begins to move toward Bethlehem, just a few miles south there of Jerusalem. So these are some fascinating men. I read in my study that the star may not have been a physical heavenly body star as we know it. It could very well be. I mean, God could do anything. God created the world. He spoke the world into existence. He raised his son from the dead. God God is good with the supernatural, right? He can do anything. So he could have created a special star just for them. But I read where one person said, no, I think it was the Shekinah glory of God. It was the glory of God just hovering over those men, like the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God in Exodus a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day that led Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. I don't know exactly what the star looked like. I don't know exactly what it was. I just know it appeared in the the heavenly realm and they followed it to Jerusalem. And then finally it resided over Bethlehem. Max Locato, he says this about this whole story. He says, Matthew loved the Magi. He gave their story more square inches of text Then he gave the narrative of the birth of Jesus. He never mentioned shepherds nor a manger, but he did not want us to miss the star and the seekers. It's easy to see why their story is our story. We're all travelers. We're all sojourners. In verse 2, it says their purpose in coming was to worship. Did you catch that? It wasn't to come and complain. It wasn't come to inquire. It was we have come to worship. And and it says, and when they came in, they saw with their eyes, they knelt down on their knees, and then they proskuneo is the Greek word, where it literally means, if y'all allow me to do this, and I'm so glad there is a wonderful rug here for what I'm about to do. I mean, they literally, proskuneo would mean to take your forehead, put it right down there on the ground. So they saw, they bowed down, and they worshiped, and then they, when they rose up, they presented their three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In verse 10, when they actually came in and they saw the Christ child, that this word here, it means they were exceedingly violently, vehemently filled with the joy. I mean, the joy of heaven itself because they had seen the Christ. Oh, I love this, uh, this whole text. One writer says, some believe the gifts, they were very significant because they reflected the character of this child who was born gold. Gold might just represent his deity or purity. Incense, the fragrance of his life, and myrrh, which you know is used for embalming and funeral purposes, would represent his sacrifice and death. And these gifts, these gifts undoubtedly provided the means for Joseph to travel out of Bethlehem and flee into Egypt because Herod had given this edict that all the children two years of age and under would be slaughtered. So it's a fascinating passage of scripture. And and as I'm studying the text with you and just walking through this text, I wanna say a couple more things about it and then we'll get into Da Vinci and we'll look at the painting in a moment. But notice with me, there are three very different and timeless 
reactions to Jesus. First of all, you have the wise men, and they are the ones that Matthew is lifting up for us as a model to emulate. These wise men have come from the east. They've traveled afar. They've been guided by the star. They've been guided by the Shekinah glory of God. And when they come, as I demonstrated for you just a moment ago, I mean, they saw, I love this, they saw him, they bowed down, they worshiped him, and then they gave gifts to him. And I I would say this is the adoration of the Magi. This is the template. This is the example that God wants us to use this Christmas season. And I think every season that we see Christ and we bow down low and we worship him and we give our tithes or we give our offerings and we give our lives to this Christ child. That's exhibit A, but I want you to look at exhibit B and this would be Herod. Herod's response to the scripture to the heavenly bodies, the star. I mean, Herod's seen all of this and he he saw it in the Old Testament manuscripts, the scribes, the scholars, they said, here he is. And, And Herod's reaction was what I would call hostility with evil intent. I mean, he, he, the, the very furthest thing in his mind was to bow down and to worship and to give homage and devotion to Jesus Christ because he thought he was king. He thought he was, he thought he was all, all of that. And yet I see that response in many, even today, there's hostility. There's not only rejection, but there's a hostility with an evil intent to obliterate anything that has a residue of Christianity. And unfortunately that is true still in our world. But then you have a third response and this would be the scholars. These are the scribes These are the intellectuals. These are the PhDs in Judaism and Old Testament. My word, they knew exactly where the Christ was to be born. Herod calls them in. He calls them out of their academia and their scholarship. And he says, and please tell me, these these freaky dudes from the East have come. They're making me nervous, man. What in the world is going on? And where is this Christ child to be born? I said, oh, just chill out, Herod. He will be born in Bethlehem because look right here. It says in the prophets of old, oh, Bethlehem, you are not the least of the rulers of Israel. Behold, there's a ruler coming from you. And they did not go to Bethlehem. Did you notice that? Herod didn't go. The scholars did not go. It was only the wise men, and somebody said appropriately called, the wise men who went to worship. So let me just ask you on this Christmas season, which one are you? Which one am I? Do we come to worship Jesus or do we come with hostility, with evil intent, or do we just come with apathy and we don't care? (laughs) Because that was the scholars. Because if they cared, they would go. If nothing was there, then all they were out was just a few miles. And some of you went with me on this journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and this nice air-conditioned coach bus. Wasn't very far, was it? But if they had gone, they would have seen everything. Really, the secret is great things come to those who believe. Okay, so that's the text. And uh, thank you for listening to me as I shared with you what I studied. Now I want to talk to you a little bit more about Leonardo da Vinci because he's the one that creates this, uh, this masterpiece uh, called The Adoration of the Magi. And I've talked a lot about Leonardo da Vinci, and the more I read about him, the absolute more I am incredibly fascinated with this man. You have all heard the terminology Renaissance man. Well, let me just tell you something. He epitomized 
that terminology of Renaissance man, of science, mathematics, engineering, theatrical design, hydraulics, the flow of water, dissecting. I told you it was 10. He, I actually read this week that he probably dissected as many as a hundred human beings. Now they're all dead, right? They're dead, dissecting them, autopsies. But he did that, first of all, because he wanted to study the sinews, the, the muscles, the fibers, the tendons, the ligaments, the joints, the bone, the marrow. He wanted to study all of that in detail so that he could replicate it. He could draw it. But he went far beyond that. And for years, he never painted because he, he was just so fascinated with earth above the sky. One of the things that just, just enamored him is why is the sky blue? And how does the blood course through the body of a human being? And so when one of his dissections, he wrote in one of his notations, he says, the, the, the valve at the top of the heart, it closes not from above, but it literally closes from beneath in, in the aortic realm, like the, the channels of water in a river. And you say, well, that's, that's really fascinating. Thanks for sharing that with us. But did you know, it was not until 1960 that a group in Oxford, scientists and medical scholars said that Leonardo da Vinci was right. And one of them said of all the amazements of Leonardo, his discoveries in cardiology, this would seem to be the most extraordinary of everything he ever did. And this guy was beyond the word genius in all of these realms and all of these disciplines. Again, this is the rebirth, right? The Renaissance, the rebirth of learning as people are discovering Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and, they're, and they're, there's this revival of education and learning. And here he is right in the epicenter of it all, Leonardo da Vinci. We know him as the great painter, but he has this incredible gifted mind as a scientist and even now as a doctor. So I wanna show you one of his paintings. I had not um, planned on showing this with you, but I, showing this to you, but because it was in the news just recently, let's go ahead and pull up Salvador Mundi. This is the savior of the world. This is a painting that Leonardo painted around 1500. If you notice it, uh, maybe you've recognized it. You see the orb, the globe in the hand of Jesus in the left hand. You see the Leonardo da Vinci. This is, he's famous for for things that don't work. Here we go. Stay with me. Always a backup. All right. Yes. Bad pointer. Stay over here. Put you in timeout. All right. See the curls? This is Leonardo. I and mean, this is this, and this upraised index finger. These are just classic Leonardo da Vinci um, attributes. But there's this globe, and you can see through the globe to see his, his clothing. With this Salvador Mundi, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, in 1958, guess how much this painting sold for? $100. You said, no way. A Leonardo da Vinci in London at an auction sold for $100. And that's exactly right because people didn't know it was a da Vinci. They thought it was always oh, somebody related to Leonardo da Vinci, maybe one of his uh, pupils. It makes its way over to America and it stays in New Orleans, Louisiana, in a home for decades. It just sits there on the wall and, and people in the family go, that really is a nice painting. Well, somebody caught wind of it and they said, that's more than a nice painting. I mean, look at the detail of that, it's fascinating. So they took it to auction and they got a whopping $1,800 for it. 
And then others came along and they said, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? Look at the, that looks like an original Leonardo da Vinci. And by the way, there's only 20 completed in the world. And they began to look at those features that I shared with you a moment ago. And then they had the infrared technology. They began to study it. And one person said, no, this is really a Leonardo da Vinci. And then it was sold for $80 million. The person who bought it told, turned around and sold it to a Russian billionaire for $127 million. And then last year, just last year, this Prince Salman out of Saudi Arabia paid $450 million for this painting. How would you like to be that couple in Louisiana? <laughs> and they interviewed her and she goes, oh my word, we had no idea that in our home collecting dust was this Leonardo da Vinci original and it sold for 450.3, don't forget the 0.3 million. So I got to thinking about that, my word, how in the world, why in the world would anybody pay that much money? And again, because of, the, because of who painted it and because of, 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 of just Leonardo da Vinci was just, he was just above, above everybody else. So it got me to thinking, I wonder what the Mona Lisa would be worth today. And like some of you, I've been to the Louvre and I've seen the Mona Lisa. And I read this week that if you were to sell the Mona Lisa, it would bring in just slightly under $1 billion for a little smile on a face of a painting in the Louvre. Fascinating. Well, this is him. But Leonardo da Vinci, after seven years with his instructor, Verrocchio, he set out on his own to open up his own studio. And this, this blows me away. I just had to share this with you. And I got a lot of this from Walter Isaacson's biography on, on uh, Da Vinci. Leonardo Da Vinci, let me just read it to you because you're going to have a hard time believing this. But this amazing artist, he, he goes seven years studying under Verace. He's a genius and everybody knows it. And he begins to paint and commercially quote, Leonardo Da Vinci failed. He was a failure. Because in this five years, he would receive only three known commissions, one of which he never started, two he left unfinished. Nevertheless, Isaacson writes, even two unfinished paintings would be enough to enhance his reputation and influence in the practice of art. Of those two unfinished works, one of them is what we're going to look at today, this adoration of the Magi. I'm going to come back to this for a mo in a moment. I'm going to resist the temptation to preach on this. But initially, Leonardo da Vinci was classified a failure. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he just didn't believe that and say, well, I'll just never paint again because I'm a failure. I'm, I can't resist it. Let me just go ahead and tell you now. By the way, failure never has to be final. Okay, we'll come back to that later. Okay, so let's look at the painting for just a moment. Here's the adoration of the Magi. It's a beautiful painting. Leonardo paints this when he's about 29 uh, years of age, 1481, the monastery of San Donato, just outside Florence, Italy, they commissioned him to paint it, and he does. He starts it, he does not finish it, which is very typical of him. It's located today along with the Annunciation, the painting we looked at last week. It's located in the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, Italy, which is interesting. Our tour guide in Israel in June, Pilar, I was looking at her uh, schedule on Facebook and this is where she is. She's there in Florence, Italy, studying, looking at these paintings with her daughter who is a professor 
of, uh, of paintings. The scene of the Magi coming to worship the Christ child. This was a very famous scene in high Renaissance uh, Europe. And Leonardo was one of many who would paint it. But so fascinating, I don't know which one to look. Maybe we'll just start over here. Of course, this is Mary. And he, is, uh, he, he paints it in such a way that he wants you to look at everything from a clockwise fashion. So it starts with her. There are 60 different animals and people and every one of them have a, every one of them has a different gesture, facial gesture, a hand gesture. And so it took him months, years to, to craft this. But of course the centerpiece is what we're studying today. And that is the Christ child, Matthew chapter two, and the three wise men given their gifts. Here's a wise man, here's one bowing low, and here's another one with his, with his gift. Oh man, come on baby. Sorry, y'all. Laser 2 just went out. Be healed, Laser 2. Come on. Uh, it's, it's not being healed. Oh, there it is. So do y'all see this guy? Isn't that interesting? And by the way, whoever wins this, all of these are in very graphic detail. And you can pull it up on your phone if you want to. You can see it. But many people believe this bald-headed man with the beard. Anybody want to take a guess of who this might be? It's Joseph, Joseph, uh, Mary's, uh, Mary's husband. And he is fascinated <laughs> and she's fascinated. They're like, this child is special. This is a, a child born when she was a virgin and these magi are bowing down and worshiping. This person here, his hands are raised as these three teenagers, you can't see them, but they're hanging out. They're talking, having a conversation. But look up here with me at this. This is very interesting. This is unfinished Rome. This is one of the palaces of Rome that more than unfinished, it's dilapidated. And, and many believe that what this captures is the fall of Rome and the fall of paganism. And the fall of paganism, it, it, the reason it's fallen is because of this person who has come to be born. And some of the underdrawings, you can't see it because it was some of the underpinnings of the, um, of the, of the masterpiece that you would see some of the temple and, and some of it falling in, in disarray. And that represented the, uh, the, the new era, the new covenant with Jesus coming as the Messiah. Again, I, I wish it was a little bit brighter and you could, you could see, I wish you could see the facial expressions, every expression on this painting, they are different. So one guy, he's got his hand over his head. He is just like in amazement. And you saw the guy with his hand lifted up. You see the Magi, they're bowing down. And one writer says in this, in this vortex of chaos, there's only one person who is serene and who is just taking it all in. And that would be Mary. And you can see that. I mean, baby Jesus, he's reaching down, trying to grab this, this gift and everybody's going, wow, this is amazing. And, and, that's, and that's what he wanted to capture, the amazement, the wonder that this virgin has a child. And the birth of this child, they say, is, is the Messiah, the, the savior of the world. And this was a very popular painting in Europe in the 15th century. But when Leonardo painted it, it just catapulted it into extreme popularity because of the artist who gave us this rendering. Very fascinating. We are witnessing, Isaacson says, the, the physical and the mental response 
including amazement and reverence and curiosity to this epiphany, epiphany which just means this appearance, only the virgin seems still, the calm in the vortex. I want to share with you just a couple of points of, of application, and we'll have our invitation. We'll give you the, uh, the painting, whoever wins it here in a moment. I'll buy it from you for $10 if you sell it to me. Just kidding. Hey, it'll, you know, Salvador Monday went for $100. i am just kidding. The first thing I want to share with you is this, is God has not left himself without a witness. And I want you to ruminate on that for just a moment. God has not left himself without a witness. There are two primary ways that God speaks. God speaks through what theologians call general revelation and special revelation. General revelation would include nature, which would include heavenly bodies like stars, nature, history, conscience, morality, those kind of generic general statements where God speaks to his universe. Let me say that again. General revelation is a systematic theology 101. It's nature, history, conscience, morality, the very essence of, of, of morals itself. Where did that come from? How is it that, that we have a, a desire for, for good, a morality? But the second way that God speaks to us is what theologians call special revelation or specific revelation. And this would be in the Word of God, the Bible, from which we've preached this sermon, from which Leonardo da Vinci painted this whole painting, the Word of God, from which Herod said, where specifically, where, the, where will he be born? And the scholar said, well, it's right here in Micah chapter five, verse two. And it's like God is just speaking. He's shouting to us, not only through the heavenly bodies, but through his specific word. And then preeminently, God speaks to us through the special, specific revelation of Jesus Christ, the King. And He comes, born of the Virgin Mary. And so God will not be without a witness. I mean, it's like everything in the heavenlies and everything on this earth just cries out, look at the Creator. And, and even Da Vinci, he would, he would say, oh my word, he said, the mathematical precision of the heavenly bodies and of the human body. And it's just like all these laws of physics and chemistry and nature. He goes, oh my word. And they're just overwhelmed and I'm overwhelmed and you should be overwhelmed that God has not left himself without a witness. He is speaking to us, not only through the earth and the cosmos and through the intricacy. Was it, was it Isaac Newton has said, a man has to believe in God if he just looks at his thumb. Think about that for just a minute. God is speaking and he is not leaving us without a witness. One writer says, God uses the natural world to get our attention. Earth and stars formed the first missionary society. And that would be the Magi with the star. Number two, wise men still seek and worship Jesus. I'm going to talk a little about, about this tomorrow night, but all of us have this propensity, this desire to worship. Uh, we're going to be like Herod. We're going to worship ourselves. Or we're going to be like the scholars, and we're going to worship scholasticism and academia and erudition and degrees and prestige and those kind of things. We're all going to worship. And you say, why is that? Why, why do we all worship? You say, well, I debate that. I don't, I don't worship anybody or anything. And I would say you're wrong. 
Because whatever gets your attention, whatever gets your devotion, whatever just gives you passion, I mean, whatever you're so excited about, whether it's football or whether it's your next relationship or whether it's this hobby or whether it's your job, whatever you give your time and your energy and devotion, my friend, that is what you're worshiping. And God created that in you. He put that in you, not that you would worship other things, but that you would long for and worship Him. That's God's desire for your life and for my life so that we would not worship the temporal, silly things of this world, but that we would do like these magi. We would come, we would see, we would see general revelation, special revelation, and that we would respond in worship and we would respond in giving our lives. The third thing is, I just had to come back to this. Thank you for letting me do it. Failure, it it does not have to be final. I don't know who Michael Jordan's 10th grade coach was, but I would like to meet him and say, what in the world? Michael Jordan did not make the 10th grade high school basketball team. I mean, they must've had some all-stars, right? But what if Michael Jordan had said, you know, forget this basketball stuff. And then we would not get to see arguably the greatest player ever. Steve Jobs, Think about him, and Isaacson's written a wonderful biography on Steve Jobs. I encourage you to read it. I mean, he had so much failure. He didn't even finish college. Where's my iPhone? I'm glad he, I'm glad he didn't get discouraged. And I think about Bill Gates and, and Microsoft, and he didn't finish college either, and he had his setbacks and failures. And, and my point is, even with Leonardo da Vinci, just because you fail, it doesn't mean it has to be fine. Listen to this. Just You fail, it means you're human. (laughs) Welcome to the human race, but here's the good news, don't give up. Look what God can do in you and through you if you just never, ever, ever quit or give up. Number four, and we're done. God has moved heaven and earth to show his love for you. As Lakato again says, the wonders of nature call to you, the promises and prophecies of scripture, they speak to you, and God himself reaches out to you. He wants to help you. He wants to help you find your way home. Now, I don't do this very often, but I'm about to, to try it here. I'm going to read an excerpt of something that I came across that was just so good I, I could not just keep it to myself. And I'm going to read, I got just a couple of minutes left, I'm going to read it to you. And then uh, in, in my manuscript and all the study of the, uh, the, the painting and Leonardo, I, all of these, Andy, I think you got a good idea. I want to one day probably make this a coffee table book with the paintings and, uh, and the book, make it in a book form. So I don't know if this will be included, but I just had to read this to you. Ever since the Magi packed their bags for Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus has caused people to hit the road. Our Christmas trips have a lot in common with the wise men. We don't camp with camels, but we have been known to bump into some knobby-kneed in-laws on the way to the bathroom. We don't keep an eye out for starlights, but flashing lights of the highway patrol. We watch for them at every curve. And we don't ride in a spice road caravan, but six hours in a minivan with four kids might have made the wise men thankful for animals. It's not always ho, ho, ho on the high, high highway. Extended time in the car reveals human frailties. Dads refuse to stop. They hearken back to the examples of their forefathers. Did the pioneers spend the night at a Holiday Inn? Did Lewis and Clark ask for directions? 
Did Joseph allow Mary to stroll through a souvenir shop on the road to Bethlehem? By no means. Men drive as if they have a biblical mandate to travel far and fast, stopping only for gasoline. And children, road, <laughs> road trips do to kids what a full moon does to the wolf man. <laughs> it's so true. If one child says, I like that song, you might expect the other to say, oh, that's very nice. Oh, no, it won't happen. The other child will say, it stinks and so do your feet. There's also the issue of JBA, juvenile bladder activity. A child can go weeks without going to the bathroom at home, but once on the road, the kid starts leaking like secrets in Washington. <laughs> on one drive to Colorado, my daughters visited every single toilet in New Mexico. The best advice for traveling with young children is to be thankful they aren't teenagers. Teens are embarrassed by what their parents say, think, wear, eat, and sing. So for their sakes, and if you ever want to see your future grandchildren, don't smile at the wait staff, don't breathe, and don't sing with the window down or up. It's wiser to postpone traveling with children until they are more reasonable age, say, uh, 42. <laughs> Christmas and travel, the first has a way of prompting the second and has done so ever since the delegation from the distant land came searching for Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the same time, wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? In order to find Jesus, every one of us needs direction. God gives it. The story of the wise men shows us how. We have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. God led the wise men to Jerusalem with the star, but to lead them to Jesus he used something else. I hope y'all catch that. Remember the general revelation, special revelation? You say, well, I just thought that was a lecture on one of your lectures on systematic theology. No, don't listen to it. God led the wise men to Jerusalem with a star, but to lead them to Jesus, he used something else, and that was the word of God. The star sign was enough to lead the Magi to Jerusalem, but it took scripture to lead them to Jesus. The wise men, however, understood the purpose of the sign. They followed it to Jerusalem where they heard about the scripture. The prophecy told them where to find the Christ. It's interesting to note that the star reappeared after they learned about the prophecy. Behold, the first Christian worshipers, the simple dwelling became a cathedral. Seekers of Christ found him, knelt in his presence. They gave him gifts, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest. Ooh, and myrrh for his burial. They found the Christ because they heeded the sign and believed the scripture. But what about the scholars? They reported to Herod the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Did they not read the prophecy? Yes, but they didn't respond to it. You'd think at a minimum they would have accompanied the Magi to Bethlehem. The village was near enough, but they didn't. But the Magi, their hearts were open to God's gift. And these men never were the same. It's as if all the forces of heaven cooperated to guide the wise men. God uses every possible means to communicate to you. The wonders of nature call to you. The promises and prophecies of scripture, they speak to you. God reaches out to you and me. He wants to help you find your way home. When God sends signs, be faithful. Let them lead you to scripture. As scripture directs, be humble. Let it lead you to worship. And as you worship the Son, be grateful. He will lead you home. 
Who knows? Perhaps before Jesus comes again, we'll discover why men don't ask for directions. Then we can pursue the other great question of life, why do women apply makeup while they're driving? But that's, I guess, a question for ones wiser than I. God will not leave you in the dark. He pursues you, he teaches you. He will not sit back while you miss out. So he entered our world. It's Max Licato, I wish I could write like that. So I wanna ask you if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. You've been great today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening and worshiping. I know many of you have lots of things on your mind. You've got places to go, people to see, gifts to wrap. Some of you have procrastinated. You've got so much to do. And I just thank you for being here. And thank you for watching us on, online as many of you are. But if we could just for a moment, just kind of take a deep breath and just kind of process a lot of data, a lot of information, what we've heard. What we've heard today is this. Right now we're hearing a baby that's upset, but that's okay. What we've heard is God loves us. He's written a book, he's created stars, he's given us data, recollection. He's given us all these things to point us to himself, to his love for us, for his desire to have a relationship with us. Maybe you're here today and, and you will only frequent a church ever so often. You may have not been in church in decades. I, by the way, I just want you to know something. Praise God you're here. I'm so thrilled. I'm thrilled that you're here today. And I pray that, that, that maybe you, you, you saw for the first time that Christianity is not you know, just some meandering in the dark, but there really is intelligence and there's light and there's, and there's scripture to be understood and there's a God that pursues you. I pray that all of this is manifested to you today. And for the very first time, you would receive Christ as your savior. Yes, this same Jesus, that Leonardo da Vinci did an amazing job depicting and painting. The same Jesus grew up, right? And he lived a perfect life. And he never did anything wrong. He healed people. He helped people. The people that made him the most upset were the religious people, the aristocracy, those who thought they were okay and they didn't need him. Those were the ones that he could not help. And that still amazes me today. The only people God cannot help are those that tell God they don't need his help. I pray that today that you will say, God, I do need you. I need you in my life. I need you in my marriage. I need you in every aspect of my life. Would you maybe just today say, God, I believe and I'm, I'm trusting in you for the very first time that Jesus Christ is more than just a little babe born in the manger, but he is the Christ child who grew up and lived and died for my sins on a tree, on a cross, and he arose from the dead. And I believe, and I believe that he is my savior and my Lord. And we welcome you in that decision today. We, we would say, way to go. You, you look like the Magi. <laughs> you see, you respond in obedience and humility and worship, and God bless you. Others of you are here today. I'm just praying for you that God would just re-energize your love for him, that during this Christmas season, it would be just the highlight for you and that you would enjoy times with family. You would enjoy time with friends and travel. Oh, yes. But more than anything, you would take those moments of worship and you would just hear God speaking to you, see God revealing himself to you in multiple ways. 
And Father, we do thank you. Lord, we give you praise. Thank you for letting us sing praise today. Thank you for letting us worship you. Thank you, God, for letting us worship you with our minds and with our intellects and so that we can study and probe not only the the details of Scripture, but even the details of a masterpiece that you have gifted with an artist. So, Lord, we just pray that all of this, all the preparation, all the centuries of, of work, that, Lord, it would culminate in a moment of belief that even now that someone far from you, God, would say, you know what, God moved heaven and earth to get my attention, and so I believe, and I surrender my life to him. Lord, we love you, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you now that we can stand, we can sing, we can rejoice and have this invitation, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with us. Terry's gonna lead us in a song, and we're just gonna sing praise to God during this invitation song. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you, we're gonna sing, but hang on. We're gonna give away this painting in just a minute.